came to this world that he spoke into existence, that he populated uh, by his word, and uh, the incredible variety of plants and animals, and, and uh, I don't know, do we call insects animals? Uh, whatever they are. Uh, the variety is incredible. The variety of everything is incredible. And uh, our God made it. That's who came. Praise God. And so this will be my feeble attempt to bring that to your attention. If you wouldn't mind standing, we'll go to Isaiah 57 and verse 15, which um, is an amazing verse um, in itself to describe who it is uh, that we call upon, that we deal with, and then what he is able to do in turn with our hearts and our lives. Let's read it together, Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. The first uh, few lines of that verse would describe who it is that came, the one who dwells in a high and holy place. He inhabits eternity. His name is holy. Then he makes uh, an amazing statement of what he came to do. He wants to include the contrite and the humble. Moreover, he's going to revive the humble and the contrite. Praise God. And so the purpose of Christmas uh, is to see the one who is high and lofty, the one who would come manifest in the flesh. Praise God. So you can be seated. God bless you. So we'll look at, we'll look at e each of these phrases and each of these situations here. And uh, I'll try to go slow because I asked Brother Levi if he could uh, put the scriptures up because I think it's really important that we see the, the foundation uh, of um, uh, who it is and uh, why he did what he did. Uh, as creator, uh, it, it's amazing what he was able to accomplish in those six days. Now, why would, he, why would he take six days? Why didn't he just do it all in one second? Um, and I suppose he could do that. But uh, these were living things that had to be put in place and uh, in their position and uh, operate in the night and operate in the daylight and so on. And, and uh, so he did it in that, that manner. Plus, plus, you know that the scriptural record said God saw that it was good. He wasn't even done, but he saw that it was good. You can celebrate in progress. You can celebrate in movement. You don't have to wait until you know, it's all complete and it's all perfect and it's all, all good. And uh, you can be thankful for what the Lord's doing uh, in the moment. Job acknowledged the wonders of God, even in his, uh, oh goodness, I, yeah, I guess we can call it torment. Even in his trauma uh, and uh, terrible time of life that he was going through, he acknowledged the wonders of God. Chapter 9 and verse 10, Job uh, made this statement, he doeth great things past finding out. Um, I, I tried to find the verse that mentions he made the north and the south. Uh, now, I'm not talking about the Civil War. <laughs> I'm talking about the magnetic field and uh, how he established that in the, in the north and, and in the south. And um, uh, that, you know, how, did, how does it work? How come it keeps working? What, what makes it work? And um, yeah, it's just uh, past finding out. Uh, just an amazing situation. Yea, and wonders without number. 
So obviously, Job had time to contemplate in his misery. Remember, he's sitting on a heap of ashes, and he's using a piece of pottery to scrape the sores, the pus and the, the uh, terrible things that he's experiencing. So he's sitting there in his misery, but yet uh, this is what he's wondering about. Um, he did mention the north, 26 and 7, Job 26 and 7. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Huh. That's amazing. Uh, that the scriptural record, uh, Isaiah says he, he has the, the words to the effect, the circle of the earth. There's still a society that believes the earth is flat. <laughs> Pretty amazing. But scripture long ago said the circle of the earth. So, uh, pretty incredible. But we know Job had, had a lot of questions. And obviously, we have questions when we go through situations as well. But the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind with questions of his own. And uh, you look at it, and, and, and I thought, I'm going to count those questions. But there's way too many of them. There's two chapters worth of questions that the Lord asks Job. Now, that's not, that's not to knock Job lower than he already is. That's not to put him in his place or any of those kinds of things. It's to show Job how indeed incredible, marvelous, wonderful the Lord God is. So he says, where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? You know, he starts out his questioning that way in 38.4. 38.19, where is the way where light dwelleth? Where, where does the light come from? And as far uh, as for darkness, where is the place thereof? So he's challenging Job, you know, the, uh, I'm the one who divided light from darkness. Can you tell me where it goes, how it's separated? what the situation is that uh, brought it about. So the extent of his power as creator, and then upholding it. We know the Bible says he upholds all things by the word of his power. And so uh, thank God that there is that aspect of the problem, uh, or the, the power of the Lord. Uh, is that Hebrews 1 and 3? Somebody find that. That just popped into my head. I want, you to, I want you to know that verse. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1 and 3. Okay, there it is. So, we look at creation and, uh, and are amazed by it, wonder at it, and uh, a lot of uh, species are still being discovered. And in, in, in all of the exploration and all of the uh, cataloging and, and uh, uh, you know, doing the kingdom, phylum, all of that stuff. You know, you know the mnemonic for that? Kings play chess on fiberglass stools. <laughs> kingdom, phylum, class, uh, order. Anyway, that's, that's how it works. So you get it all... You get it all settled out, and somebody says, here's, here's one more. We, we didn't even know this was alive. And uh, so they, they added in. Our creator is incredible. And that's why help from the creator is mentioned four times in Scripture. You don't have to, you don't have to bring these out. I'll just mention them. Psalm 121.2, Psalm 124, eight, Psalm 134.3, Psalm 146.6, the repetition, he made heaven and earth. He made heaven and earth. Why, why is that being repeated? Because the psalmist is saying our help comes from the one who made heaven and earth. And in my thinking, that qualifies him. That more than qualifies him. Because who could, yeah, who, who could figure it all out? Uh, no one has been able to, but the one who made heaven and earth says, I'll be your helper. I'm going to help you. I'm going to minister to you. Praise God. 
Psalm 146 and verse 5, help cometh from the Lord, and in the name of the Lord we, we receive blessing, and hope is in the Lord. So we thank God for that power and that blessing. Now, most high, that, that title, most high, is found 48 times in the King James Version. So it, it's not obscured. It's, it's, it's something that we understand, yes, indeed, he is most high. And, and the Psalms, uh, David and the others, uh, focused on the one who was most high and wrote praise and worship to his name. Daniel, uh, the short book that it, it is, has most high in it a number of times as well. Daniel served three kings in Babylon. Remember, Babylon is the mightiest empire, uh, civilization of that time. And eventually they'll be conquered, and, and of course it, it happens in accordance with the visions that, uh, that Daniel had or that he interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar. But uh, all three of those kings, even if you were to combine all three of those kings, it wouldn't match the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what I like about Daniel is uh, often, uh, well, all three kings are, are brought to the point of acknowledging the Most High. Uh, Daniel had that influence. And it uh, didn't matter uh, if he was a Jewish young man, didn't matter if he was far from home, uh, his excellent spirit and uh, his quick intellect and all of the qualities that uh, were, were good and provided for his advancement, he did not leave behind his relationship with God. He could have said, forget this. I'm in a new land. I have new opportunities. If this is how God's going to treat me and forsake me, and I'm going to take advantage of everything I can. Uh, but he didn't. He purposed in his heart, the Bible says, He's not going to defile himself, and it was a king's meat, but not defile himself in any other way, because you know good and well there were many opportunities available to those young men, but they continued on in their walk with God. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Talk about high and lofty. Isaiah witnessed it firsthand, the Lord on his throne, high and lifted up. And uh, the train of his robe uh, filled the temple. Some scholars say uh, that's uh, indicative of the victories uh, that the Lord has, has won. Because a, a king would add uh, to his train uh, behind him of the, to, as record of the victories that he has won. Well, uh, I don't know that the Lord would need to keep track of it that way, but I guess we need to keep track of it that way. Amen. Isaiah prophesied during the reigns of Uzziah and Jotham, Ahaz, uh, Hezekiah, four kings that he worked for and worked with. And in all their glory, again, nothing could match the Lord upon his throne. Now, Isaiah wrote a lot about one God. And very exciting to read, especially uh, in the 40s. Uh, there's uh, 66 chapters in his book, uh, but in the 40s. Uh, 41 and so on, on through 48, a lot about one God, and a lot of prophecies about the coming Messiah. In fact, I think I read somewhere that Isaiah is the most often quoted prophet in the New Testament. You're going to run across his writings more than any other prophet, and um, that says a lot about what his focus was upon, the coming Messiah uh, and his throne and, and his kingdom. So the Lord declares his name is holy. I am that I am. The burning bush, the holy ground, uh, Moses, take your shoes off. Um, as one, one minister commented, it's kind of hard to run in the desert barefooted, so the Lord didn't want him to run away. So he had him take his shoes off. I think it was the Lord wanted him to touch what's holy. The Lord wanted him to be aware that uh, you're, you're not in, in Egypt, you don't have uh, these deities, you don't have uh, the wealth and, and uh, power, but I am that I am, and, uh, and uh, things were going to change for him. 
the self-existent God, the eternal God. And by the way, um, in my concordance anyway, eternity is used only one time, and it's in this passage, Isaiah 57, 15. He inhabits eternity, and that's the only time that word shows up. Pretty significant of who we're talking about here and, um, and the, the power that he can manifest and uh, how he lives in eternity. Use uh, eternal as an adjective and uh, life, eternal life shows up the most 26 times in the King James Version. But there's eternal power, the eternal purpose, eternal glory. It just, it just goes on because of what the Lord wanted to impart in terms of what he could do. Eternal salvation, eternal redemption, eternal inheritance, eternal judgment, eternal fire. Everything uh, eternal is positive in that list except for the last two, judgment and fire. And that's not meant for you. That's meant for the devil and his angels. And we know the scriptures uh, are very clear in that, Matthew 25, 41. The devil and his angels are um, heading to hell. And thank God for it. But uh, holy is his name, and holy is his nature. Now, Leviticus, one of those books that's uh, difficult to get through, uh, but um, I, I wait for the, uh, the phrase, um, be ye holy, for I am holy. And it occurs several times. However, uh, Luke, Leviticus rather 20 and 3, offering to idols is going to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. The Lord is saying, don't, don't offer to idols. Don't get caught up in that. Don't fall short of where you need to be. Uh, in uh, 22 and 2, Aaron and his sons as priests were not to, uh, or to profane not my holy name in those things which they hallow unto me. I am the Lord. These are commandments of uh, what needed to be done, what needed to be accomplished. Uh, 22 and 32. Neither shall you profane my holy name, but be, I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord which hallow you. So that word hallow obviously means a sanctification, a made holy, and a place where uh, the Lord is separated and set apart. Hallowed be thy name, we are taught to pray. And so the Lord makes his name holy and his people holy. So all the sacrifices, all the feasts, all the special days in the law that are described in Leviticus, and you read on and on and on, my goodness, all of the different things that they were to do. The purpose of them was to be a constant reminder to the people of Israel, you are separate. You serve a holy God. You serve one who is great and powerful and different than any other deity, any other idol, uh, any other God. And so... Uh, their special place in God and their uh, command to live holy is there as well. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's go ahead and touch on those. Leviticus 11 and 44. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. And the very next verse, verse 45. I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, and ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. The Lord uh, uh, used this repetition to help us to understand uh, there was a purpose in his bringing Israel out of Egypt. And we drop back to Exodus 19. Uh, you don't have to put it up. Just make a note of it if you want. Exodus 19, 4 through 6. He brought them out of Egypt on eagle's wings. Pretty amazing imagery there. I brought you out on eagle's wings so that you would be a peculiar treasure. You would be a kingdom of priests. You would be a holy nation. He's letting them know uh, right from the beginning the relationship that he desired with them and the holiness that they were to walk in and be in the place of serving God. 
The uh, book of Leviticus continues with uh, Be ye holy for I am holy, 19 and 2. Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Uh, again, the repetition so strong. Leviticus 20 and 26. You shall be holy unto me for I, the Lord, am holy and have severed you from other people that you should be mine. So the Lord elevated them uh, in, in this special relationship, in this special place of service to him, and let them know uh, you were to walk with me. And there's to be a change then in your life of uh, how you relate to me. Well, they struggled with that. M Moses on the mountain uh, the Lord dwells in a high and holy place. He invited Moses up onto the mountain and uh, warned the people not to draw near. You know, you're, no, you stay, you keep distance. But there was a display of power, uh, thunder and lightning, uh, the noise of the trumpet, uh, a mountain smoking, uh, you know, maybe you know, some might, oh, there was a volcanic eruption. Well, maybe, I don't know. But I think the Lord was just choosing to display his power in that way. The people were fearful of the voice of God. They wanted Moses to speak. And then they were fearful of Moses because his face was glowing. And they didn't want to look at him. You know, all of this fear, um, it, it, it's a, uh, no wonder... Exodus 20 and 20, Moses uh, says this to the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. So the reverence and the fear was there so that um, they would recognize we're, we, we've been delivered from Egypt, we're no longer under the taskmaster. We're no longer throwing our baby boys into uh, the Nile. We're no longer having to meet a quota of bricks without straw. Uh, we've been delivered, and, and divine deliverance has been displayed, and they could go down the list of all the things uh, that they have been delivered from. And uh, so Moses is assuring them, fear not. When Moses... Uh, delayed uh, on uh, his return from the mountain was delayed and he's up there they don't know what's happened to him it's been 40 days is that how long he was up there the people turned to idolatry and <laughs> this part of it always amazes me how could they be so fickle how could they be so fallible look at the miracles they've already seen the 10 plagues the Red Sea parted Manna every morning, water from the rock. All of this has already been done. And uh, Moses is on the mountain. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. They can't stay with it. We don't know what's happened to this Moses. Let's make us a God that, uh, uh, so that we can return to Israel, and, or to Egypt, rather. So a golden calf. And the statement made, about the golden calf. These be the gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Uh, the blasphemous statements that, that would be boldly declared here uh, while the mountain is shaking and uh, all of the uh, incredible displays of power uh, that were going on there. And then their behavior being so frivolous, they, they just decided they're going to eat and drink and rise up to play. And then they made themselves naked and danced about and all of this stuff. You can see the carnality coming forth again, just in a short period of time of the, uh, the situation of the miraculous being displayed. That's what uh, shows us, I think, in, in great detail of how we can't rely on ourselves. We can't be the one who is going to direct our path. We need to pray, God, you direct my path. God, you provide the way. God, you show me the way. Amen. Moses prayed for their forgiveness of, of sin, and uh, thank the Lord that 
uh, they were forgiven. But he found grace in the sight of the Lord, um, you know, grace being part of God right from the beginning. Not, I know the Bible says grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, but that's, that's not the first thing about grace. The Lord has always had grace. Thank God. And so, uh, you don't have to turn, but, but four times Moses mentioned grace. I have found grace in your sight in Exodus 33, 12 through 17. Four times he said, Lord, I have uh, found grace in your eyes. And Noah, we know, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So we thank God that he's a God of grace. And uh, there's, there's a place that we know the Lord holds for us. And uh, show me your glory was Moses' request. God told him, there's a place by me, and you're going to stand upon a rock. And so Moses was in that cleft of the rock, covered by God's hand as his glory went by. Praise God. Uh, I've not had that experience uh, in particular, but I've had times when uh, the power of God just has swept through uh, the church, and uh, especially the campground uh, on, on the platform where we're able to see uh, different things happening uh, around the congregation, and it's amazing uh, to see like a wave uh, the, the worship go through uh, the congregation, 500 people just being impacted powerfully by the Spirit of the Lord, and, uh, and, and how marvelous, how incredible it is. Thank the Lord. And not only does the Lord put his hand on us for his glory, but he puts his hand on us when there's trouble when there's difficulty, when there's pain, when there's problems, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord lifts up. Praise God. And I thank the Lord that we're able to recognize the blessing of the Lord. Now Moses as a man uh, shows us the frailties too. Uh, Numbers 12 and 3, Moses was very meek. Above all men of the earth, uh, we come to sometimes chuckle uh, that we know Moses is the one who wrote this. And he's writing about, about it by himself, um, uh, or writing about himself. Uh, but the reason it's in the record is because of the criticism that was being leveled against him by Miriam and Aaron. Now remember, Miriam and Aaron are his sister and brother. And uh, so, and he's the youngest, and he's the one who has been chosen by God. But Marion and Aaron are criticizing him. And so the Lord calls uh, them out of the pillar of cloud, calls them to himself. They're standing there before the Lord, before the pillar of cloud, and he reprimands them. And, um, and, and to show you the seriousness of this, Miriam becomes a leper. Uh, the Lord, no, thank God there's not a whole bunch of lepers running around here uh, who criticize the man of God. Um, if, if that were to happen, um, it would be a terrible thing. But thank God Moses prayed for her, and seven days later she was healed. Thank the Lord for it, and uh, the blessings of God is there. But, but Moses shows his humanity by his anger. He broke the tables of stone. He ground up the golden calf. He sprinkled it on the water, not so they could do some gold panning. No, he made them drink it. And um, he was very angry. The first time he smote the rock, water came out. And as I said, that already happened before they made this golden calf. They already saw that miracle. But here they go doing all this other. Now, the Lord told uh, Moses to speak to the rock. But Moses, in his frustration and um, uh, his lack of patience, uh, he smote the rock again and water gushed out. But what happened? You're not going to enter the promised land. Now, that, doesn't that seem kind of harsh? In some ways, it does. If we're measuring by man's idea of fairness and, and equity and blah, blah, blah. But Moses had to be the example. 
and, uh, and the Lord used him as an example time and time again. And uh, uh, this outburst and anger kept him from uh, the promised land until he appears with Jesus and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. And um, he sees the glory. Wow. Incredible fulfillment of what he desired. So before Moses died, however, you read in, in one of the chapters, I believe it's Deuteronomy, where he calls God the rock of our salvation. And he said, their rock, talking about the enemy, their rock is not like our rock. Praise God. And he knows how powerful the Lord is. So there, there's no bitterness. There's no complaint. As far as we know, there's no, uh, Lord, you're not being fair or anything like that. Um, he simply pronounces a blessing on the 12, 12 tribes of Israel, and then he departs. So um, when we're talking about holiness, we're not just talking about outward appearance. There's, there's in stuff on the inside that's got to be in place so that there isn't uh, an outburst like this and, uh, and the price that is paid uh, as well. So the Lord says, I dwell in a high and holy place with the humble and the contrite. God's dwelling place, um, he told uh, Moses, build a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That was right from the beginning uh, in the descriptions of Exodus of what was to be, Exodus 25 and 8. And um, I want to dwell with them. I want them to build me a sanctuary. I, I want to be here. And, uh, of course, the Lord inhabits eternity. He's everywhere. But he wanted them to be aware of his presence. Exodus 25 and 46, they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So he repeats that again uh, with the purpose that, you know, I'm, this is where I want to be. I want to be in your midst. And, um, and, and we know that's what he desired, but unfortunately, uh, the, the record of the kings is way up and down. Uh, uh, the extremes of, uh, of Manasseh and then Josiah. Um, it, it just uh, incredible. But Zechariah uh, told Israel that God will dwell in the midst of thee. He's holding that out as a promise. God can dwell in the midst of thee. Zechariah 2, 10 and 11. He repeats it there twice. Because that is what God wanted to do. You know, you look back in the, uh, the, the third chapter of Genesis, and the Lord comes to Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, and he's talking with them. What was that like? What, uh, what was the conversation? What, what did they cover? You know, they, they were keepers of the garden, and... Uh, and they, they had those responsibilities. Uh, it wasn't just uh, uh, laying around twirling a stem of grass in the wind or anything like that. Uh, they, they were keepers of the garden. They had, they had responsibilities. So probably the Lord asked them, well, what did you do today? And how did it go? And uh, what did you find to be interesting? I don't know. I don't know. But it must have been an incredible time. For the Lord to dwell with them. And thank God uh, that's what he desires yet today. John chapter 1. Um, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then the incredible statement in uh, verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Praise God. The, um, the, the literal fulfillment of Psalm 1720. Psalm 1720 is very special. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Now, that, that would be the word that David 
recorded, Solomon recorded, the other was others that Moses, all of them that, that did that, but thank God the word in flesh came to heal and to deliver as well. Emmanuel, God with us. Praise God. And, and this is the part that was incredible to me, that the God who rules over everything, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Everything is functioning because he said, let it be so. And, um, and yet, he came for us. He, he wanted to be with us. And uh, the, amazing, uh, the amazing prophecy of Isaiah 7 and 14, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. I thank the Lord that uh, that's who it is. And, and I know the baby in the manger, the shepherds, the wise men, the star, all of those things are part of the pageantry, uh, part of the panoramic uh, view of, of Christmas. But it's God with us. Praise God. And um, I thank the Lord that we're able to understand that and work with that. Okay, let's see if we can finish up here. God will dwell with the humble and the contrite. Now, the humble and the contrite are identified here uh, in the word of the Lord because they know they need God. They know they, they can't make it themselves. Uh, they're, they're not proud. They're not arrogant. They're not trying to be self-sufficient. They're understanding, God, I need you. God, I, I want you. And uh, uh, the description in 1 Corinthians 1 uh, fits here. The foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised, the, thing, the things which are not. That's what God chose. Not the wise after the flesh, not the mighty, not the noble, at least not very many of them. God didn't shut the door on them. It's just they won't come to him because they think they've got it made themselves. I don't need anything. I don't need anybody. Um, I'm, I'm wealthy, I'm mighty, I'm noble, I'm wise. But uh, they need the response of Isaiah when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Woe is me. I'm clean. And, uh, and I think that's why the, the Lord selected him and, um, and, and brought him along in the, in the place of being a prophet. The humble and the contrite get the Lord's attention. Um, there, there doesn't have to be the beating on the door. The Lord is aware of their needs already. Psalm 34 and 18, we'll go ahead and, and look at these because uh, um, we can identify with what is being said here. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Now, contrite uh, is an interesting word. It, it, uh, it, you see it in other translations as crushed. A crushed spirit. Um, we've been there, haven't we? There, there's been situations where the load was just too much. And, um, and we, we didn't know if we were going to make it. But praise God, he's there, and he heals the brokenhearted. Psalm 51 and 17, this is, this is David's prayer now after uh, his adultery with Bathsheba. Um, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And um, he despises the proud but not someone who is broken, not someone who is contrite. Thank the Lord for it. Uh, the Lord says in Isaiah 66, 1, talking about the, the dwelling aspect again, and, um, and he's speaking through Isaiah to say, the heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? Where is the place of my rest? You know, he's un helping them to understand. I know I told you to build me a sanctuary. I know I told Solomon to build me a temple. But really, that's all so tiny. That's all so minuscule is what he's saying. 
I, I inhabit everywhere, eternity. But verse 2, all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. We're, we're in a world that doesn't know what that means anymore, for the large, large part. Um, a tornado, a hurricane, an earthquake, it's God's fault. And they shake their fist and, um, and deny uh, the Lord. Instead of being humble and contrite and trembling at his word, instead of reaching for his hand and his blessing, I thank God that he doesn't ignore the humble and the contrite. I'm thankful that he doesn't push us aside and say, I'm, I'm looking for something a little more substantial, a little more, you know, whatever. Thank God that he ministers to our hearts and to our needs. When we're crushed, when we're hurting, when we're heartbroken, when, when we're, you know, feeble and weak and just, you know, all, all that we can uh, describe in terms of, uh, of humble and contrite. I'm thankful that the Lord is there for us and how he has promised to revive the humble and the contrite. He invites us to, to dwell with him. He said, I dwell in the high and holy place with him. And he names the humble and the contrite. Now he says he's going to revive the humble and the contrite. Praise God. And I thank the Lord that he knows how to revive, to restore, and regenerate. Praise God. And I think about the great exchange that he makes. And again, this is my feeble attempt to help you remember who it is that came. Amen. Thank God for the little baby in the manger. But who is that? It's this one who is so powerful and so compassionate and so loving and so strengthening and uplifting. Praise God. I thank the Lord for it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 we're talking about the exchange now that he made for us, what he was willing to do. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, no sin in him, tempted on all points like as we are, yet without sin. But he made him sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, that's so important, those last two words, in him. Not in our works, not in our abilities, not in our holiness, even though that's what God requires of us. It's something that is in him. And that's where we've got to stay. That's where we've got to remain. Next exchange, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be rich. There's that transition again. Praise God. Sin made into righteousness, and uh, poverty made into wealth. And that, that's, that, you know, the Lord has blessed us, and we thank God for it. Uh, I thank the Lord for the principles of tithe and offering, and how the Lord responds with that, opening the windows of heaven and pouring out a blessing that we're not able to contain it. And it's not all financial. It's not all possessions. It's not all transactions and, and uh, so on. We know that there are things that you can't put a price tag on, and the Lord provides that for us. I'm thankful that he takes pleasure in blessing us in that way. But, oh, my, the things that money can't buy, I thank the Lord that he's there to provide for us. And so amazing to me, the unlimited God limited himself in flesh so that he could make those exchanges for us. Praise God. I thank the Lord for that. Unbelief, we know, limits God. Israel uh, provoked and grieved God in the wilderness. Uh, Psalm 78 and 41, they turned back and tempted God and limited 
the Holy One of Israel. What limits the Holy One of Israel? Unbelief does. Nazareth did not see many mighty works. Because Jesus didn't spend time there? No. They didn't believe who he is. This is Joseph's son. His brothers are here. His sisters are here. His mother is Mary. They didn't attribute power and majesty to him. And as a result, not many mighty works were done there. So what should our response be? Thank God for redemption. Thank God that we're able to receive from him the gifts and the power that he's able to provide for us. I like Ephesians 1.13 and the sequence uh, that is uh, mentioned there uh, in that verse, Ephesians 1.13. Uh, I'll reverse the, uh, the wording here a little bit. You heard the word of truth. You trusted. You believed. And then you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Praise God. Because God honors his word. Amen. How fortunate we are to hear it. The preaching of the truth. How, how wonderful that we can uh, say, okay, I believe that. I trust that. I'm going to act on that. And, um, and, and then be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The new birth, uh, just uh, that's not a misnomer. That's not a hyperbole. When, when uh, it's talking about new birth, uh, a new chance, a new beginning, it really is starting over, praise God, in the name of Jesus Christ and the waters of baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. Uh, how incredible. How amazing. And uh, I pray, God, don't let me lose sight of it. Don't let me lose the wonder. Don't, don't let me you know, feel like that's old hat. Uh, but no, rejoice every time I see someone else get in the water. Someone else is filled with the Holy Ghost and speaks in another language they don't know. Praise God. It is so great salvation. And uh, no wonder the writer to the Hebrews says, don't neglect it. We have so great salvation. Praise God. How are we going to escape if we neglect it? I want to continue on in that great salvation. Enjoy it. Grow in it, praise God. Because the writer to the Hebrews uh, 6 and 9 mentions things that accompany salvation. Salvation being so great, so powerful, so wonderful, so complete. But yet, he says, there are things that go along with salvation. There are things that you can receive in addition. Things that accompany salvation. Praise God. I thank the Lord for the grace and truth. I thank the Lord for compassion that fails not. That's new every morning. I thank God for peace that passes understanding, that keeps our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. Praise God. And the devil has no way to defeat that. I thank the Lord for that. I thank God for joy unspeakable and full of glory. Even the angels desire to look into that. But that's what you and I receive. Praise God. So things that accompany salvation, we can go on and name a whole bunch more. But let me get to the response um, that, that has to do with the, um, the high and holy one. And uh, he dwells uh, in that place. And his name is, is holy. What should our response be? 2 Corinthians 6, um, the, the list there, uh, in the end of the chapter, the first part of the chapter, Paul is talking about the, the uh, verification of being an apostle, all of the hardships that they go through. But now, he goes on and, and, and starts in, in verse 14, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? He's drawing a real strong distinction. What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? You see, all of those aspects of, uh, of, of, of fellowship or getting along and going along and, and all of this stuff, that, that's not to be a part of where we are. There's to be that separation. And here's the reason. For you are the temple of the living God. 
Praise God. And so then we read on uh, in the latter portion of verse 16, as God hath said, this is the one now who came as a baby. This is the one who left his throne in heaven and came uh, uh, to pay the price of salvation for us. Praise God. Now, and he inhabits everywhere, and, uh, and, and we thank God for We're not not uh, denying that aspect. But here's what the Lord says. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Praise God. He's saying this to the church. He said this to Israel over and over and over. My goodness, you can, you can see that phrase, I'm your God, you're my people. You can see that time and time again. And now he's saying it to the church, to us. Praise God. Verse 17, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Praise God. And we, think, we talk about receiving the Lord. <laughs> and, we, and we do, praise God. But it's more important for him to receive us. And he said, that's what I'm going to do. Verse 18, will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. There again, there's that reminder of who he is. He dwells with us in his spirit. I'm almost done. Now, verse 1 of chapter 7 links back to what we just read in the end of chapter 6. Having therefore these promises. What promises? Well, we just read. The Lord said, I'll dwell in them. I'll walk with them. They'll be my people. I'll be their God. They'll be my sons and daughters. I'll be their father. Those promises. Let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. That's the responsibility. That's the place God wants us uh, to respond to him and to know the blessings that he has in store for us. Peter, uh, in his first letter, touches on responsibilities and privilege uh, in, in chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 9. He, he, he mentions we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. He goes on in the passage and says, You did not obtain mercy, but now you have. You were not a people, but now you're the people of God. He lets them know that special relationship is there in place. And then he, uh, in verse 11, uh, goes on with the aspect of uh, desiring the, the, the change that, that needs to be in place and maintained, needs to remain. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The devil says they're going to satisfy. The devil says they're, they're, uh, you're right. You, you can participate. You can do uh, what you want to do. Well, you can, but you can't do both. You can't be in fellowship with God and, and give in to fleshly lusts. Uh, one's going to cancel out the other. And uh, that war is very much in part. We're strangers and pilgrims because this isn't our home. We're going to a place that the Lord is preparing. And so, verse 9, the, um, the phrases that were used with uh, Israel, at least some of them, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you. Praise God. And, uh, and thank the Lord, we have the privilege and the responsibility of uh, responding to God uh, in, in those categories and, um, and, and letting him provide that blessing for us. Praise God. And, um, and so Peter's saying, I beseech you, and uh, Paul used that phrase too, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is Romans 12 and 1. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Amen.
So our response um, and our recognition of who it is that came. Uh, thank God that we can respond and not conform to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds that we can prove it is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Praise God. And the Lord could, the Lord could uh, establish that for us. And I thank God for it. One last verse, Romans 12 and 21. Well, almost last verse. Be not overcome of evil. And, um, and, and the Lord taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. And praise God, that, <laughs> that's definitely what we need to pray now. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now this is, uh, we know the context here is talking about uh, inner relationships. It's talking about getting along. I think it can be expanded into the general aspects of, of, of how evil wants to pursue you, how evil wants to drag you down, how evil wants to destroy you. And you overcome that with the goodness of God, with the power of the Lord, with a blessing that he brings forth. Praise God. You overcome evil with good, not, not the goodness that we have, uh, that's short-lived and limited. But the Lord, the Lord with his power. Praise God. God came so that you can be an overcomer. Amen. And uh, thank God that's, that's possible. And um, that's God's will. That's God's plan for you to be an overcomer. Here's the last verse. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. His word brings peace. Responding to his word produces peace. Praise God. Rejecting his word, that's, you're going to have trouble. In the world, you'll have tribulation. And oh my, we're well acquainted with that. Tribulation, trouble, trauma, terrible times, all of that, we, we know that that's true. But the Lord still says, be of good cheer. Pretty hard to do in our own, but when you stay close to the Lord, when your fellowship with him is strong, when your faith is not faltering, and, and you're humble and you're contrite, you know, God, I'm not going to make it unless you help me. I need your help, God. I need you. And, um, and we're reaching out to him. Praise God. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so that, that bond that we make with him, that fellowship that we have with him, the life that we live in him, praise God, that produces the overcoming. That makes manifest the power that he has for us. And thank God that we're able to step into that realm. So, when you think of Jesus in the manger, when you think of that virgin mother, when you think of that carpenter dad, and all that goes with the Christmas season, uh, just remember who it is that's in that flesh. And remember why he came. Praise God, because it, 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 it means the world to us, amen, of all that he desires to impart. Stand with me, please. I, 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 still, I still am amazed to, uh, to read Isaiah 57, 15. And, uh, and to know the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, who dwells in a high and holy place, is saying, I want the humble and the contrite to live with me. I'm going to lift them up. I'm going to revive them. I'm going to strengthen them. I'm going to bless them because I want them in my presence. I want them to dwell with me. 
Praise God. And thank the Lord we have that opportunity uh, to respond to him in that way. Praise God. Would you come and we'll pray for a few minutes here? And thank God that we have the opportunity to just commit ourselves uh, to him again and uh, to know that uh, he desires to impart power and strength and blessing uh, to us when, uh, when, we're, uh, when we're feeling crushed, when we're feeling uh, low, uh, when our hearts are broken, and uh, just all of uh, the aspects of, of uh, uh, difficulty in this life. We thank God that that's not the way eternity is going to be. Amen. Eternity in his presence is going to be wonderful. No tears, no sorrow, no crying, no pain, no death, no Satan, no sin. Praise God. Um, I want to make it. I want to make it. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us now.